Hello, how are you? What is going on? Thanks for joining me on YEGMS. It's episode number 23 and the second in my two-part very brief, extraordinarily brief, overview of the history of multiple sclerosis. This is also my second episode uh, as part of the MS and Me internet radio family. Thrilled to be part of that initiative. Uh, I'm still working through and still trying to figure out how to compress these uh, compress these things down to 27 minutes, but uh, I, th I think it's such a great initiative. I'm happy to do it, and, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So if anything else, that it just forces me to be more concise because I have a tendency to go off on a tangent, so say uh, la vie, I guess. What's going on with you guys? Um, me, uh, Wednesday morning, I normally run... I try to as much as I can. I shouldn't say normally. I try to as much as I can. I uh, go, ru go run stairs at our local football stadium. Uh, it's about a 50,000-seater. Uh, foot, foot, and there's a, a, a local fitness community group called the November Project, and it's free. You show up. You bring your shoes, and, and you go run stairs for half an hour. And... Wednesday morning, I, I, I didn't bother to check the November Project uh, Twitter feed, so I didn't realize we couldn't get into the stadium. And the reason why we couldn't get into the stadium uh, was Metallica was playing a concert that night. So when, when my buddy Paul and I showed up, and there was security roaming all over the place. And then, granted, I mean, this is, you know, quarter to six in the morning. And security people they wouldn't let us in and then we tried walk we figured okay so maybe we just can't park in the main lot and, and we can walk in so we, as we're walking in we couldn't get in the regular door but the most interesting thing is we uh had to walk to the parking lot where there had to have been somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15 semi trucks truck trailer big trucks parked but then right beside the the main football stadium the the football team here the local pro team has a uh as a field house, an indoor field house, like an indoor field. But it's all glass on the one side, so you could see in. So looking in, you know, Metallica had taken over this field house, and they must have a small army of people that, that travel with, the, with them when they're on tour. Um, my guess is by the number of chairs set out, they would have to have 100-plus people traveling with them. The amount of stuff and trucks and equipment, it was just... It was, it was amazing to see that, you know, a band can actually get to, to be that big where they would have to have that kind of infrastructure traveling with them. I mean, that was, uh, like I said, I was, I, was, I was really, really, really in shock. Um, I can't really say much other than that. But um, And actually yesterday, I'm recording this on Friday, which is, uh, what are we at, the 18th? Yeah, 18th. I actually started my holidays, and it's, it's not really yesterday from work. And it's not really a holiday so much as a staycation. I'm building a deck in my backyard, and um, we're going to spend some time out at the lake and with my kids and my wife. Um, you know, we did our big, bigger trip to Puerto Vallarta earlier this year, so. Um, but I'll, I'll enjoy the 10, day off, 10 days off just the same. Uh, you know, the summer's winding down pretty quick, 
and in my area of the world that means it's going to get cold. Uh, so wherever you are, I hope the summer is going well and things are well. Um, other stuff that I should mention before we get into the, the, the second part of the brief history of MS. Um, as always, if uh, you ever want to be a part of the show, I can do an interview with you via the phone, FaceTime, Skype, or if you're in the Edmonton area, I can come meet you and we can do an interview that way. Uh, I love to hear from other people. I've had, you know, obviously this is the second one on the MS and Me radio network, but on the podcast as a whole, I mean, I've had a lot of people as guests and just other MSers sharing their stories, their views, their opinions. And if your opinions and views don't match mine, that doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is sharing stories because I know interactions with other people with MS has been a big help for me. And it could be a big help for you too. So if you want to be on the show, send an email to Sean, S-E-A-N, at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. That's S-E-A-N at O-W-N, multiplesclerosis, all one word, dot com. As always, you can find me on Twitter at ownms.com1. So it's O-W-N-D-O-T-C-O-M and then the number one. You can find me on Facebook at Own Multiple Sclerosis. And you can find me on the web, my blog on the web at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. As mentioned, this is uh, the second of a two-parter, uh, which is a very, very brief look at the history of multiple sclerosis. Um, it's not meant to be a, an in-depth and exhaustive uh, study, more just brief bullet points to hopefully encourage people to do their own research and look into it and, and sort of just have a bit of a discovery. So here we go. Here is part two of A Brief History of Multiple Sclerosis. Enjoy. In the last episode, we looked at two early suspected MSers, uh, St. Ludwina and Augustus de Est, who, given what we know of them and the health issues that they were having, it seems reasonable to assume that uh, they were likely early MSers. But what and who um, discovered it or, or first wrote it down as a, as a separate condition. Well, in 1868, Jean-Martin Charcot, who's also known as the father of neurology, made note of the plaques in the brain and was able to separate MS with Parkinson's disease. Multiple sclerosis was recognized in England by Dr. Walton Moxon in 1873 and in 1878 in the United States by Dr. Edward, S Edward Sagan. The big thing to note here though is that even though they had started categorizing it as multiple sclerosis, they didn't know at the time it was an immune system disease. As the 20th century dawned, more began to be known about MS. For that, we return to the article re released by the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. And that's an article that I mentioned in the last episode, and of course I'll leave a link 
to it so you can read it for yourself on the companion notes on ownmultiplesclerosis.com. But back to the paper, and here's a quote. In the decade after World War I, MS research grew more sophisticated. Abnormalities in spinal fluid were noted for the first time. In 1919, though their significance was a puzzle. Myelin, which had been discovered in 1878 by Dr. Louis Ranvier, was studied intensely under the microscope, and the cells that make myelin were discovered in 1928. Again from the same paper. Just before World War II, an important breakthrough occurred. An animal model of MS was developed out of, the, out of research on vaccines. It had been known that people vaccinated against viral illnesses, especially rabies, sometimes developed a disease resembling MS. It had been assumed that this occurred because the virus in the vaccines was not completely inactivated, and so it attacked the myelin. In 1935, Dr. Olmos Rivers at the Rockefeller Institute in New York City demonstrated that immune cells, not viruses, produced MS-like illness. By injecting myelin, he knew to be virus-free into laboratory animals under the proper conditions. He could induce their immune systems to attack their own myelin, producing a disease very similar to MS. So that's interesting because we have the medical community being aware of and starting to classify multiple sclerosis in the late 1800s, but it wasn't until 1935 that it was being shown to be an immune disease. You know, isn't that very typical? I mean, here we are in 2000, in 2017, and we still don't know what causes it. You know, almost, you know, we're talking three quarters of a century later. And isn't that the, isn't that the thing with our shared condition? Is that people can tell you have it. They can't tell you why. They can't cure it. And the best they can do for you is put you on uh, medication to hopefully delay the onset of really, really bad uh, symptoms and, 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 and progression. But there's still so much unknown. And I just, I, you know, I don't know if it's fascinating is the right word, but it's interesting to note that even early on, they were really having a trouble nailing down what this condition actually was. But now you have the medical community in the early 20th century starting to recognize sorry, early to mid 20th century, starting to recognize that MS is its own condition, it's an immune condition. And here's another quote from the MS Society's uh, paper. An unforeseen consequence of World War II was the availability of medical information on the huge population of young men who had served in the military. Studying their MS, doctors discovered the uneven distribution of the disease. 
A strong geographical gradient was apparent, showing that the incidence and prevalence of MS increased steadily as one moved northward away from the equator. Reference to the geographic distribution of multiple sclerosis. Interesting, especially, uh, you know, that early. And the reason why is when I first got diagnosed back in 2007, um, one of my early interests was just that, the, the geographic distribution of the disease and why is it that people in northern Canada, northern Alberta and Canada in general, and, and other northern uh, northern countries seem to have a higher prevalence of MS. You know, and then over the years on my blog and stuff, I, I've been exposed to, uh, for example, there's a, a couple doctors out of Iran who've been looking at geomagnetic disturbances, uh, which are disturbances caused by solar radiation in our upper atmosphere, and how they relate to uh, distribution of multiple sclerosis. And when you look at, you know, the sort of like the vitamin D hypothesis, which is, you know, northern lavid latitudes seem to report higher instances of MS, and it's probably likely due to uh, de decreased exposure to sunlight. And, you know, and then and because of that, vitamin D levels are lower, and possibly this is what is causing or, or, or at least contributing to the higher rates of multiple sclerosis. But the interesting thing about the um, vitamin D hypothesis is that it, it, it doesn't track the same south of the equator as it does north of the equator, and you would expect it to. Um, you would expect to see the same sort of distribution north and south of the equator. Now the geomagnetic dis disturbances, well I'm just going to start calling them GM GMD because that's a bit of a mouthful. So the GMD disturbances, which are caused by solar flares and solar radiation, which are being researched again from these, these, these two gentlemen in, in Iran, um, they can be mapped with sort of a lot latitude as well, except for their latitude lines, and that's not what they're called, but effectively their latitude lines aren't straight, they're curved, they're, 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 they're curvy. And sort of the sweet spot for MS instance incidences with looking at it from the GMD lens is plus or minus 60 degrees uh, from the equator. Now, interestingly enough, where I live in Edmonton is actually pretty close to this uh, 60 degree uh, GMD line, so, um, you know, I, I guess it's possible. Yeah, but I do really find that fascinating that uh, even early on, the, the geographic distribution of MS was being looked at. Um, you know, obviously, there has to be some reason why there are, are, are pockets of MS that are just higher in certain populations. And you know, it would be great for all of us if, if, if uh, somebody could answer that. Somebody could answer that question. Now back to looking at multiple sclerosis from a historical perspective. Um, and back to the paper that I've been referencing from, that was released from the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. And here's another quote. In 1953, one of the major medical breakthroughs of the century occurred with the Nobel Prize winning description of the structure of DNA by Francis Crick and James Watson. 
The way in which genes control biologic functions became clearer, including how the immune system is regulated by sequences of genes. Additional studies on nerve conduction showed how chemicals generate electricity as they flow through channels in the nerve fiber membranes, and myelin was further broken down into its components, isolating the basic proteins suspected to be the target of the MS attack. Uh, sorry, MS attack. MS attack. Science studied B cells, T cells, genes, and myelin, but without uncovering a clear unifying thread to direct MS treatment. The emerging scientific complexity of MS confused, confused rather than clarified, and research gave doctors very little guidance on what was the best for their patients. And again, I mean, to all of us, this is uh, pretty far par for the course, isn't it? Um, I mean, I remember when I got diagnosed and you know, the answer I was really looking for was why. Why Why did I get diagnosed? Why is this happening to me? And here I am 10 years later, and, and I have no better answer than I did the day that I sat in the neurologist's office, and he threw my MRI up on the, you know, that little thing that, they, that lights it up so they can see it, and told me that I had MS. And... It's strange that I find it comforting that that's, that's been in, sort of been the, the way it's been the whole time. I mean, even looking back at like St. Linwina when they didn't know what was going on with her, or Augustus not, him, not knowing what was going on with him, to them finally categorizing the disease, but not knowing that it was immune disease, but now they know that it's an immune disease, but then not really knowing why or how or when. And... And the when is what gets me, is because it's you kind of feel like you're a ticking time bomb, you know, you're you're a walking, breathing, feeling ticking time bomb, and you're just waiting for it to go off. When's my next big attack? It's not you know, I haven't had a big one for ten years. I mean, I've had some minor flare-ups and fatigue, and my hands are still numb, and my feet are still numb, and you know, all the fun stuff that comes with it, but not that big where I was knocked out for a while, attack. But wondering, am I going to have another one? Is it going to happen again? And not having that answer, it's tough. I mean, it's tough, and it's it's tough for all of us. And um, I don't want to sound compl like a complainer. I mean, I, I, I do very well for somebody's had, had MS for 10 years and I can I, I can well quite honestly and I've proven I can do things that most air quotes normal people can't do I mean most normal people don't run 80 kilometers in a day well I've done it twice and I did it as a person living with MS um, and that's all well and good but I it's always with the knowledge that I have the disease and at some point it could not, not suggesting it will, but it could, you know, knock me down again. And looking at the history of it, you know, um, it, it just seems like that has been the way it's been for as long as people have been looking at this. At this, um, you know, from the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and and through right on till now, uh, you know, 
I could talk about different treatments that were developed or ones that were tried and didn't weren't successful. But really, you know, the, the, the history of MS since has just, from my perspective, has been, here are your DM, here's the DMT that we think might work for you. And by DMT, if you're not unfamiliar with, you know, with that, just stands for disease modifying therapy. And the way it was explained to me by my neurologist is, is, is the goal is to not allow the disease to progress any further. We can't fix the issues you're having, you know, numbness and specificity and all that stuff. But this, we won't have it progress any further, which is fine. I mean, it's better than nothing and I'll take it. And, and so far I can honestly say in 10 years, I really, there hasn't been a progression. Um, I can still play sports, I can still run, pick, and pick up my kids, play with my kids, read, write, work, uh, being an, be an active member of society, I can still do all those things. Um, so it has, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that, that treatment hasn't come a long way, it certainly has, but you know, there isn't really anything else to note. I mean, I suppose I could mention things like how in 2007, 2008, the buzzword was the liberation therapy. And then starting around 2009, 2010, there's, you know, the characters like Dr. Terry Walls that have a diet and, and, and which, you know, full disclosure, I, I do follow a paleo-like diet, which is what Terry Walls, you know, espouses. Um, it's a more extreme form, but it's, a, it's effectively what it is. And, I mean, those are sort of the more recent things that have been going on. Certainly not a, there certainly isn't 100% universal agreement between all schools of thought. And, um, but there you have it. So, as I mentioned in the, in the previous episode, this was a very, very, very brief overview of the history of multiple sclerosis. Uh, my intent certainly wasn't to cover everything, and if I left anything out, please, uh, that you felt was important, please let me know. But it's just started to give a summary of kind of where we've come from and where, you know, where we're at. And like I said, I, I would encourage anyone listening to, to just go onto the website, ownmultiplesclerosis.com, go into the companion notes and, and click on some of the links and, and read this stuff for yourself. I mean, there's definitely a ton more information than what I provided. Um, so I would strongly, strongly recommend looking at yourself because it, it, it is, I mean, for somebody who lives with, with MS daily, it's interesting to know. And I find knowledge is empowering and having a real good understanding of what is happening with me with different treatments what's current helps me contextualize what's going on with me how and it gives me um a sense of comfort you know uh i have to say over the last decade my interactions with other people living with the disease have given me more comfort than anything just because then you, you realize you're not on an island by yourself and you're 
there are other people that are going through what you're going through. There are other people that are going through what you're going through, but in a far worse degree, and, and some people are doing far better. But just having that support and listening to other people's stories, I, I've just found it's been very, very important for my management of, of my condition. So there you have it. There was sort of a brief overview of the history of multiple sclerosis. Uh, I hope you found it useful. As always, if you would like to be a guest on the show, I can do, we can do it via FaceTime, Skype. If you're in the Edmonton area, we can do it in person. Uh, we can do it on the phone. Please reach out to me. And whatever you want to talk about that's MS-related, whether I agree with you or not, it's not the point. It's to uh, create a community of people. So you can reach out to me at sean at ownmultiplesclerosis.com. That's O-W-N, multiplesclerosis, all one word, dot com. That's also the website, ownmultiplesclerosis.com. You know, if you're listening to this on MSME Radio, keep listening to it here. But you can also find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud under Y-E-G-M-S. You can find me on Twitter at, at ownms.com1. So that's at O-W-N-D-O-T and then the number one. Also can be found on Facebook at, book at Own Multiple Sclerosis. And uh, that's the episode for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. And I look forward to hearing from you real soon. Thanks a lot. <laughs>